Welcome to Dragon Talk. Yay! Yes. Hey! Whoa! I feel like did we just get some Greg Tito dance moves in yes. this? Are yes. you? Yes. You are pumped up, man! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ready oh, to go wow. because this is the official Dungeons and Dragons podcast, and I, Greg Tito, like to dance around on stage for y'all and Shelly Moo. Yeah, I sure appreciate that. <laughs> I. Do not like to dance on stage. Ever? You've never done that? Like a dance contest or what? A dance contest? Perhaps while never. inebriated. Oh yeah, then sure. Yeah, that's yeah. that's what I was going for. More of the, you know, whenever you were trying to like get in the middle of the dance floor and you know do a little electric slide or something. I've always wanted to learn the electric slide, and I just haven't really been able to to. <laughs> Remember, and I'm not coordinated, so it's hard for me. I yeah, I know. What about the one that has like the actual uh, dance moves called out in it? Can you do that one? Because I can't do that one either. I can't because it's. I just feel like this immense pressure. Like oh, like I gotta get it, and I right. can't. Like Simon says or something. Just, Two times, y'all. I'm like, yeah, I can't. No, I don't want to. No, like uh, I can do the hokey pokey. Turn them all around because that's. Goes really nice and slow, mm. and it's just one move at a time. But yeah, you're like easy mode electric slide is what I need. I do like yeah. for the elderly. For the elderly, <laughs> I want to do like the the um, chair version. You know how they have like chair cardio, <laughs> chair yoga. I need chair electric slide. <laughs> just a little bit of that shuffle shuffle water aerobics electric slide. <laughs> yeah. There you go. I dig it. I dig it. Well, uh, we are very excited about what's happening around the Dungeons and Dragons horn because we've got Andrew Orvidal on the podcast today. Stand-up comedian, writer, actor. Uh, he's you may know him from the TV show Those Who Can't. It's on HBO Max right now, formerly on True TV. Very, very funny show and a very funny guy, but he has delved full on into D&D and tabletop RPGs, and I can't wait to hear all about uh, the projects he's got going on, the home games, what he's been doing during uh, quarantine, as well as uh, what he's doing on this, in the streaming space. So yeah. lots lots of great projects um, in Andrew Orvidal's orbit. Ha-ha. <laughs> 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 So we'll hear all about that uh, during our interview segment, but I am also really excited about Strixhaven, A Curriculum of Chaos, coming out on December 7th. There's two amazing covers that you can get uh, out there, and it is all about a magical university and how to bring that into your D&D game. It's, of course, based on the Magic the Gathering plane called Strixhaven, was released in a set earlier this year, um, but it is able to be put into any D&D campaign, I think. Uh, as long as there is some type of magical academy or university, uh, you can cobble all of the mechanics as well as the NPCs and characters in uh, Strixhaven and Curriculum of Chaos for use in, in that. Yes, I'm, I am enrolling in Strixhaven University. What kind of a job are you going to get? Uh, maybe a barista. Ooh. 
Are you going to maybe hang out with one of the baristas there? Maybe strike up a combo? I might make a, date? A, make a friend. I might make a friend of me. Take them to uh, the prom. Take them to the prom. Take them meet, to yeah. the pound. Make <laughs> make them, uh, maybe make them be. Uh, that was what you do to your friend of me, is you take them to the pound. Take case. them to the pound. Hopefully I can make friends with an owlin. Mm, I love owlins. I they're might so even cute. be an owlin. They fly. They're just, oh, their little faces are so cute. Oh. Oh. Do you think um, Drunky Two Shoes would ever befriend an owlin? You said they'd be like cat and owl. I would love that. Nice. Yeah. All right. Well, maybe uh, maybe Daryl and uh, an owlin named Derpy. <laughs> Derpy the owl, the owl, the owl that goes Der- against stereotype. Derpy and is not, feathers. in fact, wise. Yeah, he's not. <laughs> they're not wise at all. <laughs> oh, the dorps. Right. We're already rolling up a character here using everything in Strixhaven, and that's the type of fun stuff that you can get out of it. Really yep. great. Already um, inspired. Fizzband's Treasury of Dragons and Wild Beyond the Witch Site are still climbing up the charts. Um, new people are jumping into the campaign uh, in that's set in the Feywild and all the awesome stuff that's going on there in Witchlight, uh, and maybe throwing in a few dragons. Moonstone dragons are native to the Feywild, but you can throw mm. in any kind of dragons you want with all the stuff that's going on in Fizzband. So if you have not yet, check out those books. There's tons of reviews and thumbs up from uh, the community around those books. So, uh, you know, you don't have to take our word for it. <laughs> You're going to love it. You're going to love it. We gonna guarantee love it. it. <laughs> Is that Men's Warehouse uh, there <laughs> yeah. mixed with Reading Rainbow references? We are old. Ladies wow. And <laughs> if you got my men's warehouse reference, please let me know. <laughs> You're going to love the way you look. Oh, thank you. That's what it is. <laughs> That's that awful gravelly voice that guy had. We guarantee it. We but, you know, it just it. feels like for a long time, men just didn't know they had other options to shop at. It was just like, <laughs> well, <laughs> I got to go to the men's warehouse. <laughs> There you go. I mean, it wasn't bad. I, I went there with my dad once to buy a suit. I was like, they really the, do have everything. There were stores called Big and Tall, too. You're like, wow, <laughs> just put the put the name on the on the tin there. I can tell you right now, that would not fly for women. We will not shop at a store called Big and Tall. <laughs> anyway. Anyway, very excited for all those things going on in the D&D world. And there's even more to come in 2023. We 2023. Oh, 2022. Sorry. Yeah. Jeez, I'm already. I'm I mean, in the you're future. not wrong. You're not wrong. But we're in a I don't time know machine wanna, like, around these parts. But I was thinking about uh, the awesome Call of the Nether Deep uh, that we announced uh, with our friends at Critical Role. And that book then is coming in 2022 March, yeah. March 2022 yeah so get your hands on that uh then but we'll be ramping up all kinds of conversation around that and of course everybody who has the core rule books to D&D but don't yet have the expanded books around uh Xanathar's Guide to Everything Tasha's Cauldron of Everything and uh the monster books that we have put out there's a new gift set coming down the pipe. It is called the Expanded Rules Gift Set. 
Rules Expansion gift set. Rules Expansion gift set. Yeah. It has those two books I mentioned as well as uh, uh, a new tome or a new-ish tome, uh, Morden Cannon Presents Monsters of the Multiverse that has got pretty much every single player race that has been published for Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition within it. Uh, with yeah. some awesome revisions and all of the mon- many of the monsters, oh, uh, over two hundred and fifty yeah. redesigned monsters and stat blocks packed into Monsters of the Multiverse. Uh, that is going to be coming available for you January twenty sixth. Right, uh, and you get a, a DM screen too in that DM screen. There's two versions. One yes. has uh, the standard covers with an awesome foil feel to it. A new cover for Monsters of the Multiverse. No one has seen that yet or has held that in their hands quite yet and then there's an alternate cover version of that gift set that are also pretty awesome white uh spines and oh they're so cool uh really iconic artwork uh attached to those as well too so look for more information on that on uh, dnd.com and uh you know figure out how to get that gift and use all of this money that you get from returning gifts that your parents give you <laughs> and get yourself uh, a rules expansion gift set. Or cash in those gift cards, too. Yeah, right? You, know? you can use your Chili's gift cards for this, I'm pretty sure. Uh, uh, for sure they would take it. And mm-hmm. uh, January 25th is actually very close to my birthday, <gasps> which I think is why they decided to release a gift set at the end of January. I forgot that you're an Aquarian, too. Yes, because this is, you know, February is really the true um, time of year when you like to to give gifts. The gift of people being born in February. Because we are gifts. We are. the wonderfulness of uh, water sign people. That's right. The water bearers. Actually, you're not water sign, right? Aren't you air sign? I don't know. Yeah, it's confusing. We are the water bearers, but we are not. Yeah. Why do you know so much about uh, astrology? Because I, I've had to disprove it at every step of the way. <laughs> oh, right. Like, this is why you know so much about The Bachelor, too, because you right. have to tell everyone how crappy it is. I'm sure you and uh, my wife, who's also an Aquarius, uh, right. will talk about that. Oh, we have. And we will. And we'll continue to. <laughs> In front of you. Well, that's my gift to you for your birthday is uh, being able to make fun of me as much as you want on this podcast. Dun, Aww, dun, dun, dun. I wouldn't do that. <laughs> I prefer to do that. it behind your back. You've never done that for 325 episodes. Ow. Oh, no, we lift, we lift up. Yeah. Yeah. Lift up my leg. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we are... Rolling in it today, wow. but we have an amazing segment to throw to. I think you're going to learn how to DM, but you don't need to know how to DM because uh, you already know how. I mean, I feel like these segments are going to take on a whole new meaning to me now that I have had my time behind the screen. It's like peer-to-peer, really. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like how to DM as peers. I like that. That's the way to frame it. Yeah. Um, and I can't wait for you to talk to a uh, friend of the show, Teos Abadia. Oh, Wonderful dude. The best. Yeah. Like, just such a great person. So I'm full of always a joy to talk to Teos. Well, I'll let you get to that before we get to our awesome interview segment uh, with you. Andrew Orbital. Welcome to How to Be a DM, I am here with a returning guest and one of 
my favorite people in all of the TRPG community. That's right. Hot take. I said it. I am here with Teos Abadia, a wonderful human being, freelance author, developer who's worked with companies such as Wizards of the Coast. Penny Arcade, MCDM, and Hasbro, and I am noticing in the background uh, a big giant copy of Hero Quest, which is awesome, and excited that you have uh, worked on that as well. Um, anyway, w- without further ado, because I think most people probably know who you are, welcome, welcome back. Thank you, DM Shelley, which is very important to now call you this, uh, because you already know how to DM, you've done right. it. Right. Right. I mean, like, basically, this segment is now for, like, other people, not for me. (laughs) No, Um, um, as I said to Greg earlier, these segments have new meaning for me now because I feel like I understand uh, what all you Dungeon Masters are talking about just a little bit better. Just a little bit Well, you were super kind in that intro. Thank you. And um, it is wonderful to be here, and I'm excited because I think this can actually be something that you can apply to your game. Okay. To, to the game you're running. This is amazing. So uh, what we're talking about is patrons, which is something that my eyes just glassed over before because I yeah. you know, wasn't a dungeon master. And nobody uh, ever, like, as a player, I, I was never introduced to patrons. And really, like, how, what are they? And how <laughs> can they help your game? Or in this case, my game, which is even yeah, more exciting. Yeah. So this is why group patrons are awesome, uh, because what they're, the whole purpose of a group patron is to have a reason to unify your play experience. Bring your party together, bind them in, in service to some greater purpose. And because of this happening, everybody sort of aligns at the table. Like You know kind of how to speak to your players. Your players sort of know what they're all doing together and why they're working together, and it just kind of unifies everything together. Um, so a patron is like an employer. It's some sort of organization or entity that has power and it sort of stands behind the characters and directs them towards their goals, which are its patron, you know, the patron's goals. Um, because of all this, the patron serves as your voice, which gives you a credible way to speak to the party. So if you've ever found those games where like, the players are maybe doing a mystery and they're running around in circles and you're like, how do I tell them, right? Your patron is a way, like your patron empowers you to have that voice. And the goals themselves of the patron can be an interesting narrative that add on to whatever the adventure or campaign has. Okay, so this might be a silly question, but couldn't you do that like... Without a patron? Like, couldn't you yeah. just be like, I'm the... But but there's got to be benefits to using Yeah, w- what it does is it, it makes it a little more official, right? It's sort of like the difference between saying like, hey, we're a bunch of adventurers who got together to stop evil from getting powerful artifacts and saying, you work for the Harpers, oh, an organization okay. that in Faerun works to remove powerful artifacts from the hands of evil. And now, because there's that organization, you have like NPCs you can use, and you have like interesting mysteries that are about the history of the Harpers and all this kinds of thing, right? And, and organizations that are opposed to the Harpers. And so it feels bigger. It feels like it's part of the world, and your characters are now sort of united in purpose within the world. Okay, that makes sense. So it's not, you're not just employing this patron, uh, you're getting like a huge amount of story 
yeah. built into it. Even if it's brand new, right? And we can think of like things in popular media can direct what, what a patron is or just general things like a criminal organization, right? Like that could be really cool. Um, you could be the Thieves Guild mm. um, in a city. So if you like that kind of campaign, that could be neat. And it could be like maybe you're a Thieves Guild in like say Ebron, right? So you've got a noir setting going already, but the Thieves Guild is opposing uh, some sort of despotic element. Right, like so, you're you're almost like agents of good, but you're the thieves' guild. Right, that could be a really cool campaign, and so a patron can be a really key part. The other thing that patrons can do for you is they can give you a reason to sort of aspire for growth in a way that isn't just your levels, right? Because levels, especially these days, they don't sort of feel that tangible. I mean, it's sort of things you want, like I'd love to be third level and get this feature, but now you've got another way to grow in that you could become, you know. Uh, renowned harpers and maybe even climb within an organization or your employer may grant you some parcel of land to oversee or things like that. Yeah, I I like the idea a lot of rewarding players think, with things outside of just, well, you got enough, enough XP and now you're going to level up. <laughs> yeah. that's, that's a really cool idea. Okay, so are they easy to, to use in your game? What are the rules here for this? That's a great question. So the rules are found in two books. They first showed up in Eberron, Rising from the Last War. And that's a great place to go. Like, those rules are not old. Um, they're fine. And in fact, those rules are more Eberron campaign specific. So they can be a great way to see how to tailor something to a campaign. And if you're running an Eberron campaign, like, that's your number one place to look. If you're running any other campaign, then what is in Tasha's Cauldron of Everything, which is the other place we find these rules, those are slightly recast to be less Eberron-specific, so they can work for any world, almost any world, um, and there are additional patron types. There are also some that are in Eberron and not in Tasha's, like, for example, working for a newspaper. That isn't something that's in all worlds, but if you wanted it to be, then that could be a fun thing to look at as well. Um, I mean, doesn't, don't you just immediately want to like create a campaign of working for a newspaper? Like That's kind of fun. Yes, I can already think of many fun stories. That would go with and that. so the rules for patrons come with kind of a couple of different things. There is a uniting kind of, no matter what patron you join, there is this ability called, or a feature called group assistance. Uh, and this is that every party member can give someone else in the party advantage to a role uh, if they can see each other. And you can do that once per long rest. So like I can, it's something I use, say, on you, right? So like I say, hey, you're doing that hard thing. Have advantage on that check. Um, and that's called group assistance. So that comes with all groups. Then you have your choice of what your patron is. We can talk through the, those that exist. And then each patron has a sort of concept, perks, and can give out quests or assignments. Okay. So it's pretty turnkey, then, you're saying. Like yeah, a new dungeon it really master, is. Such as myself would be able to do this. Yeah, and like, let me give you some examples just to sort of like help the kind of mental you know, juices flow. So we're in a horror campaign, and we could have a patron which is an academy, and it studies the occult, right? Mm. So the academy naturally is seeking knowledge. It's uh, finding you know, forbidden artifacts to lock up, things like that. Uh, but we could give it a little bit of a campaign twist by saying that, hey, they're trying to answer these very critical questions that they believe are very important, maybe because there's going to be some like uh, pattern of the stars or something like that. 
And maybe there have also been like the disappearance of several members of the academy. And that could be what we inject into any campaign. Like say we're running out of the abyss, right? And maybe the reason you got captured is the academy sent you to investigate what's going down below because of these foretellings they're having. And that leads to all this sort of demon stuff and everything that you find in Out of the Abyss. Or maybe the Academy is studying at the elements, and that leads into Princes of the Apocalypse. Oh, yeah. And now you can see how like everything that the party starts to figure out would now be viewed by the players through the lens of, hey, we should tell our patron about this, or, oh, what's our patron know about the cult of air? And, and then you can be like, well, you know, you talk to your contact, and she says that, and, and you know, this gives you a voice and a way to interact with the players. It kind of makes the experience really work, right? So at what point do you bring up the page? Is, like, is it like right off the bat, like, oh, you're in the tavern, <laughs> and this person approaches you? Like, is it just like... The same as giving the quest? Yeah, it can be. So like, um, I, I like to start a campaign with a patron already, but uh, even if that doesn't happen, it, it can be something that presents itself later. Like let's say you're running Tomb of Annihilation, and in that an adventure there's all this uh, faction information. One of them is that the Order of the Gauntlet is st- trying to like keep these various um, bases alive in the middle of the, the jungle fighting against undead. And so what if they hire you on? Uh, and that could be either way. Like you could already be in Chult and they say, hey, we really badly need this help. We'll give you all these benefits if you join our organization and help us to, to achieve these various goals. Or it could be from the very beginning, you're sent there by them to look into the death curse and check what's happened uh, with their base, right? Because they heard one of their bases fell. Maybe there's another, you know, go, go see what's happened to our people. In, in these various areas. And so that gives you that guidance of what to do with the campaign, right? Yeah, it does. You, I, you've mentioned uh, join our organization and you'll get all these benefits. Yeah. Is that also part of the turnkey uh, experience or do I have to come up with benefits? No, no. So, so there are perks, right? So like, let me tell you what the eight patrons are and you can pick one and we'll go into the, the uh, okay. perks. So there is Academy. Mm-hmm. There is Ancient Being. So some old, powerful, ancient creature. Oh. Uh, aristocrat, mm. you know, some powerful noble. Criminal syndicate, mm. a guild, military force, religious order, or sovereign. Oh, man. Okay, I'm, so I'm thinking about my game. That mm-hmm. includes eight and nine-year-olds. Uh-huh. <laughs> I've, the academy has potential because I feel like they would relate very well to that, and I could just use some of their real-life school experiences in that? Yeah, that's, that's a great one. It's very flexible. All right, so let's do that. So whenever we look at something like Academy, we can, it's got ideas. It has all these tables. We all love tables um, for like types. So whether, like it could be a boarding school, right? So you can get into that whole kind of classic, uh, you know, I'm going to school kind of experience. Uh, perfect for Strixhaven, right? right. Uh, arcane Enclave, Secret Monastery, you know, all these different types. And then we get into the perks. So the Academy pays you. So when you do work, you actually are getting a gold piece every single day just for hiring on. So right oh. there, that's easy, right? I mean, if your players uh, meet a representative of the academy and the academy representative says, hey, I'll pay you one gold a day to join us, I think half the party is going to sign on right there. Um, another way to do payment is to give you a bounty for each artifact or relevant discovery they get. That can also be a really good um, motivating factor. And we're told in the rules, by the way, that we should freely adjust these as we see fit, 
I think that's in the rules is modify the rules. Um, so that's compensation. Documentation, you all get like a card or document that says you're a member of the academy. And so certain NPCs may react well to that, right? So you meet oh, some right, sage, okay. you can say, we're a member of the you know, Academy of uh, Explorer Society. Um, research, so research is part of your job, but your patron also has facilities for that. So you can tap into that to find answers to questions. Uh, resources, so there are libraries, museums, things like that that also exist behind the scene. That might lead to things like spell books, um, gear, things of that nature. Training, so if you use the downtime training activity, this cuts the, ca- the costs of that, and it's easier to learn certain skills using downtime. Uh, oh. And then you get an academy contact, and we have a nice little table where we can get, like, it's an infatuated tourist or a wizened fixture or a celebrated instructor. So, you know, that could be fun, some sort of, like, you know, grizzled professor that uh, meets with the party and, and acts as their contact. Um, And then we also have the idea that you could have certain roles within the organization. And that can be anything from I'm a student, and there are various types of that and backgrounds that are suggested. Or you might be a professor yourself, or you could be someone who finances it, a researcher, a groundskeeper, right? There are all kinds of options for what you do within the academy if you want that. So all those are perks. And again, every every patron has slightly different perks uh, that exist. That is really cool. The down. So, tell me more about this downtime training. Yeah. So, uh, in the it's either the DMG or the Player's Handbook, there is a training activity you can choose to use that sort of speaks to the older aspects of the game, where you would level up and you would need to do something to level. Like, you know, go find. I'm a fighter, so I've got to go find another warrior and be trained. And so, this cuts that cost. There are also rules for how you can learn a language. Um, so you become proficient in that language and that, that spends time to do that. So you can get those benefits by being part of an academy. Uh, you can also get proficiency in arcana, history, nature, or religion as if you were learning a language. So you can use those same rules and just gain an extra skill. How cool is that? Oh, that's really cool. Mm -hmm. And I feel like it's got a lot of uh, benefits for those moments well, like when the party returns to town or in between, you know, in, in those the, the role playing moments and they're like, I don't know what to do. We can be like, we, yeah. The library that, you know, your uh, patron has granted you access to is right down the street. Go study, <laughs> learn something. Yeah. And that's a great point that when one thing that's important about patrons is that sort of contact or whatever the voices for the organization or voices. It's really important to kind of work on those. And tweak them as needed. And, and I say tweak because um, most DMs, we've had the experience where we think up an NPC and we're sure, and I think this was even mentioned on one of your How to DM segments, where you come up with the coolest NPC and you present it to the players and they totally go talk to another NPC in the room. <laughs> right? Like The silly goblin over in the corner and you were supposed to be like the cool explorer type. That's who they're going to talk to. And they're like, no, we all want to talk to the goblin. So you want to be flexible and maybe present a few options and switch some things out and then like work on that one that they like and have that really become like the contact and make sure that it's someone they enjoy so that when they do things like come back from you know, the ancient temple they just uh, went to, they feel like talking to this NPC, right? And that, the, and, and that there's going to be some, some sense of value. Like we want to talk to that NPC because we like the NPC 
and we're going to tell them what we learn and see, you know, get information and new quests from this NPC. Like they will want that. And so you, you want to help, help that be a, a neat relationship. Yeah. And when I was running that game, I did have, I made their principal be the, their quest giver because she's like a <laughs> woman of authority and someone that they, I, I just needed them to have something familiar than like a little goblin comes up yeah. to you or, um, so she was essentially a, a patron, but like I didn't realize there was so many other things that their principal could have brought to the table to, yeah. you know, I've, and I, I don't even know if I have ever gave them their reward. <laughs> I, I, I remember you saying that. We'll, we'll talk about that at some point. So one thing that's fun about uh, your patron's voice is that you can have that voice not just be literal, like right there you know, when they're talking to them. Um, you can find ways to reach out to the party at all times. And some of that already exists in the game. Like you could say, oh, the uh, professor that is your contact or the principal, she has a crystal ball of empathy uh, or what's it called, of telepathy, um, which allows her to reach out to every now and then and give you messages. Or maybe she gives you sending stones so you can both communicate back and forth or scrolls of, of um, sending or something else like that. Uh, even just a magic item. Like um, in uh, the adventure Cloud Giant's Bargain, I wrote in a talking skull who is an instructor that's there in the adventure to sort of oversee what you do and rate you. Oh. Uh, so so <laughs> their job is to kind of give you scores. And there's actually a scoring sheet uh, that's used in the adventure. And the skull is called Tulak for reasons that will be oh, obvious to you. Oh, seriously? Uh-huh. And so Tulak will speak up in various encounters, sort of telling them, you know, like, oh, that wasn't good, or are you sure you want to do that? And it, it can act as the PC's voice to sort of, you know, encourage them to go one way or the other if they're going to cause trouble, which is excellent for kids because kids yes. love causing trouble and derailing and all that. So, so having a little talking, whatever it is, you know, can be neat. It could be a little pet. It could be a magic item of some sort, like a hovering orb or a skull. You know, uh, Rhyme of the Frost Maiden does something similar in its adventure. Um, you know, a ghostly presence that follows the PCs. So I, I really like that kind of technique because it gives you a reason to speak. And especially if you make it not an NPC, but a thing, you know, a force, a magic item, then it, you, you don't feel like you have that NPC that weirdly speaks up every now and then. Right? If it's a person that's actually following yeah. around, it's sort of strange how the, the PC does nothing and then suddenly says something. So by being a little magic item, a little right. hovering, hovering, floating thing, whatever, then that makes perfect sense. It's out of the way when it doesn't need to do anything and then when it needs to speak up, it does. And I feel like it's a good tool for a new uh, dungeon master that doesn't have a, a ton of confidence and gets yeah. real nervous about your players not doing the thing you mm -hmm. want. Because you can yeah. just kind of like use that mechanism yeah. to guide them back to the thing you do want them to do. Exactly. And there's certainly an art to guiding players. Like you don't want the thing to be uh, always course correcting because you right. do want to let players, you know, explore and, and sandbox and do try out some weird things and fail. Um, but there are those times when it would be frustrating to play or would set them back or it would hurt the pacing of the adventure. And so we want to just, you know, help tweak a bit where we go. That's where that thing can speak up and direct them. That's a really cool idea. Um, another option is in the Acquisitions Incorporated book, there are roles that 
uh, players can can take on. And these are perfect because they're organizational roles. They're, they're sort of things that make sense, like the cartographer or the person who's in charge of all inventory and treasure, the hordes person. And there is one called the documenter. And the documenter has a magic satchel that receives notes from your headquarters. And this is an excellent way to also achieve that voice of your patron because you can just give them this magical satchel, maybe even the role itself. And through very simple mechanics, there's some means of reaching back and forth. And, you know, the employer can just suddenly, it's sort of like a fax machine, right? And so like <laughs> your satchel spits out a little piece of paper that says, so you're still on track, right? Oh, you're focused on our up. mission, right? And that can come right at the time when the party's going to derail and go down some road that they shouldn't, right? <laughs> Yes. So you also, if they're part of an organization, then couldn't you like dot their path with other members of the organ? Like, if you get into trouble in where Cholts, you know, yeah, see this person who can help you out. So there's always kind of that, yeah, not like an escape hatch, but just yeah, yeah, totally, yeah, yeah, and and that's a great way to do it too, is to have other contacts and members and groups like the Harpers, right? They're full of those. You know, they can be anywhere, right? They could be hiding in a barrel. Like I think Harpers just do that. They just hang out in bizarre places. Yeah. How <laughs> fun would that be? Right? They're just anywhere, right? Why are you in this closet? That's eh, what we do, you know, undercover. Just waiting for a PC to ask a question. <laughs> right. Okay. What, anything else? This is, has, has been enlightening. Um, yeah. I honestly did not realize that patrons could do quite this much. Yeah, they really can. I, I, lo- I love, I think this is just such a sweet, sweet rule. Uh, to add into um, the D and D fifth edition rule set because it's it's just it's the kind of thing that can really make campaigns more more awesome. Um, one other thing you can do you can take patron rules and combine them with franchise rules. So franchise rules are in Acquisitions Incorporated, and that book gives you the rules you need for how to grow an organization that you sort of direct or at least own a part of. Um, and what this can do is if you imagine like, let's say our patron is an explorer society and they say, Hey, we want you to go down to Cholt and explore all these ancient temples and figure out what's going on with this death curse. And if you do well enough, you know, we'll fund you having a building there. Or maybe in Storm King's Thunder, this cloud giant shows up and she says, or, you know, storm giant, cloud giant says, I, am." Um, you know, I don't like what's what's happening here with how we're handling the ordning breaking. Um, I I want to have you work for me and look into these issues. And if you do well enough, I'll give you a castle. And if you really do well, I'll make it float, so you can take it with you everywhere you go. Oh my right? gosh! And the rules for franchises allow you to do that. Like you can create a base over time, and you can gear it up and add special features, and you can do things like you know Chris Perkins does in Acquisitions Incorporated, where you have like the flying blimp, right? And it has harpoon guns. Like, so you can do that with the book. And so you can combine that with a patron and the franchise rules. And it gives the players a real system where they know, like, hey, if we keep doing well and we level up, our franchise will level up. You know, our headquarters will. And we'll have these kinds of cool features that we'll get to do. Uh, that's amazing. I love that. And it's very Acquisitions <laughs> Incorporated. <laughs> very much so. <laughs> oh, a lot of amazing. fun to design that. Very cool. Um. All right. I know there's probably a lot more to explore in this, but this is a great yeah. start. And um, I'm, I think I'm going to employ some patrons in my next game. Yeah. Thank what do you, you? What kind of patron do you think you'd use for your dragons of dragon of Ice Spire Peak adventure? Probably a principal. 
Yeah. Principal yeah, of the Academy. Go with the Academy. I like I it. think the Academy. I think it, because it, that's where they return. They had to return to their school. Um, Perfect. They, yeah, you, and they, already, they both see, did. You were, you were Except, already doing a patron, and you didn't even know it. I didn't even know. <laughs> yeah, they had to come back and tell Principal Julie uh, what the outcome. My son is still out in the in the woods somewhere. He didn't want to return, so no. I have found we, we that can... our children, you would think our children would be the most perfect player that would set the example yeah. for everybody. And I've found that I think our, our, our children sense this and then must rebel against it, and, and we just have to give them a pass on that. It's my... I have two very good kids, and they have both done this uh, at my table. Where I'm like, so you're kind of the kid who's least focused. Yeah. Could you know? Yeah. Oh, he like flat out was just like, I'm bored. I don't, I don't want to do this. Thing. Like, <laughs> oh, he even was. He wanted us to kill his character. I'm like, this what? You're embarrassing me. Uh-huh. <laughs> but then he yeah. later said he had a great time. So yes, <laughs> good. Who That's knows? what matters. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Teos, where can people find uh, more about you, follow you, learn about the work you're doing, all that good stuff? Thank you, Shelly. Uh, you can find me at alphastream.org. There you can join my mailing list. You'll get a free item that I worked on the last time I was on this show. Uh, yeah. I think I'll also probably write up these patron rules um, and, and put an article on the blog there. Uh, oh. So alphastream.org. You can also find my work on the Guild. You can find me on Twitter. Uh, at AlphaStream, and I have a YouTube channel as well. Uh, you're kind of a little bit of everywhere. I'm it. trying. Um, and you'll probably be back here again to talk more. DM I would tips. love to. Sounds Thanks, Shelly. Thank you. What a wonderful How to DM segment. You know things. We know things about patrons. Yeah. Which I never really knew what the point of them was. But now you know. Now I feel like I do. Well, now I know. It's all about uh, those quest givers, right? You got to give. Got to give something out there. Yeah. Rather than just being mayor of town X. You know, give them some uh, background. Yeah, there's more story there. So very cool. Put inspiring, them to work. inspiring, and that's why I am excited to talk to our guest. He will inspire us in the realm of comedy, the realm of dungeon mastering, the realm of game design, yes. and the realm of barbecue. Yes, let's do it. All right. Everyone, let's welcome Andrew Orvidal to Dragon Talk. Yay! Oh my gosh, thank you for having me. So, this is a huge honor. Thank you. Oh, wow, well, do you know where you are? I do, I do. I... <laughs> <laughs> what did you? <laughs> Roll a perception check because yeah. there's no honor here. <laughs> oh man, we'll be on our best behavior. Best well, behavior. I'm, I'm honored to talk to you. I mean, you're a, a comedian. You have uh, a sitcom that's currently running right now. It seems to be a trend. We're talking to sitcom creators and showrunners, uh, and very excited to learn about uh, your love of D and D as well as all the fun projects you got going on. And you've got this Albert hat on. Uh, what do. is that from? I do. It's from uh, where I have a house here in Denver. There's a barbecue spot called Owlbear 
barbecue, and it combines two things I dearly love, D&D and amazing barbecue. It's really good. If you're ever in Denver, check it out. They have they have vegetarian stuff too, and uh, they have some amazing classic D&D art on the walls, uh, some very cool uh, owlbear art and stuff like that. But yeah. So great. I like this hat because it just looks, it's a camouflage hunting hat for those of you who are just listening to this. And at a glance, you'd be like, oh, it must just be a Cabela's hat. But then right. it says Al, it says Albert. <laughs> it says that. So for those in the know, yeah. and there's like mm-hmm. something interesting about barbecue places because one of my D&D characters, Drunky Two Shoes. So if you listen to this podcast, you know Drunky Two Shoes. That, that name is actually named after a barbecue place here in Seattle, Drunky Two Shoes. Not oh, nice. a D&D place. It was just like such a tabaxi name. How could I not use it? I love it. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe they are a D&D place. Who knows? But anyway, good reason to go to Denver as if I needed another reason to want to go to Colorado. <laughs> exactly. Right. I'm in. Uh, I want to play D&D in Albear Barbecue and, yes. uh, and eat the meat of all of those uh, delicious, <laughs> fantastical, mystical creatures that are in D&D. All those monstrosities. Yeah. It, unfortunately, it's a tiny shop or else I'd be like, I'm definitely setting up a weekly game in here. <laughs> oh, it's barbecue. Yeah. It's like a takeout. It's pretty small. Yeah. yeah. It's a pretty small shop to loiter in for four and a half hours. Well, they're going to be such <laughs> a big hit after everybody in Denver hears about it on this podcast. Yeah. So they'll, they'll be able to expand, I'm sure. Yeah. Get takeout and bring it home to your D&D games. Well, Andrew, why don't you tell us about how you started playing D? I want to know what your your D and D origin story is. Where did when did you first start rolling the dice and 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 pretending to slay monsters? Yeah, unfortunately, I wasn't allowed to play as a kid. I was a mm. child growing up in the eighties, in the midst of the satanic panic, and in my family, it, it was broader than the satanic panic. It was like. Anything cool and magic panic. Uh, and so I was, not allowed, I was not allowed to play D&D or any tabletop role-playing games. But I would hang out at the mall and I'd go to the game store and just sit on the floor of the game store and look at these game books that would just blow my mind. They look so cool. I love the art. Uh, and I was not allowed to play them. And so years and years went by. And then in my 30s... Uh, a group of comedians here in Denver uh, invited me to play D&D with, with them, which who I am eternally grateful for. Shout out Aaron, Jordan, Jason for helping helping show me D&D. And from the, the very first game, I was hooked. I was like, this is the best. This is the best thing. And I can't believe I was kept from playing this as a kid and a teenager. Um, so yeah, in my mid-30s, I started playing. And uh, right after that first game, I was like, so yeah, we could play tomorrow. And they're like, no, we're going to play like every two weeks or something. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, what? No. And uh, I think that's why I cannonballed into running games. Cause then I was like, well, I'll just, I'll just run a game every night. Some, someone can play. And I started playing with my daughter who at the time, I think she was like five and she wow. oh. loved it immediately as well. Um, and my then girlfriend at the time had a son uh, who would play with us. And yeah, I would just run games for kids, which is insane, but a lot of fun. I love oh. that. My, I was a very similar story to me growing up. My parents would not let me play either. It was also beyond, it wasn't even just magical things. Like at one point, my mom wanted uh, to get rid of all my Steve Martin records 
because he was apparently too sarcastic for oh. her tastes. Sarca- sarcasm was also off the table. Sarcasm wow, was bad. not even yeah. sarcasm. <laughs> I know. The sarcasm <laughs> panic of the 80s. <laughs> <laughs> I think wow. that might have been more of a reaction to, to being around too many teenagers uh, at once who grew up on MASH and uh, uh, all of the sarcasm of the comedy world. Um, but yeah, no, I, I was right there with you and I didn't start until I think it was my 20s. Uh, so, but probably around the same era. What, what, what was the game that you were playing at that time? In my thirties, what, what edition? It was, it was fifth edition. Oh, it was okay. Uh, yeah, um, it was fifth edition. That's the only edition of D and I've ever played. Actually, other people have told me like, "Oh, you should at least try fourth. And I have friends who go back and they play like a second edition game. But I like fifth edition. I know it like so well. I'm kind of, I don't know. I've never really, I've never really felt the need to to go back and try the other editions. Yeah, yeah. There's 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 something to that, right? Where you're like, this is the one that I've learned, and it works for me. So why why go backwards? Exactly. Right. And and I've taken so much time to learn it too that I'm like, do I really want to spend all that time to kind of <laughs> learn it and bend all all these rules into these other other editions? So yeah. Now I'm but, and plus, happy. you've you've designed some stuff. You've done some homebrew uh, within Fifth Edition as well, right? So why don't you tell us a little bit about about your worlds? Because uh, seems like you jumped right into dungeon mastering. I did, yeah. And then I quickly learned that the greatest foe in any D&D campaign is like adult availability where, you know, you wrap up a game, especially if it's like a cliffhanger session and you're like, oh my gosh, I can't wait to play next week or whatever. And people are like, oh, I can't play next week. And you start to compare calendars. And before you know it, it's like five weeks away or something. That always kills me. So from from when I first started making up my own content, I always had that in mind of like player availability. Like, how can we play this even if someone can't show up? If someone drops out last minute or someone just can't make it, how can I make a game world that is still accessible for the people who do show up and it doesn't overly punish the players who can't show up? So I came up with a game world I call The Fringe Company. The Fringe is this sort of wild expanse of wilderness that you could almost tack onto any fantasy continent that you want. Um, but it is a uh, it's a pretty vast wilderness. There's like five biomes in it all the way from, you know, a frigid northern area to a, uh, a very swampy, jungly southern area. And... Uh, the players are basically part of this benevolent group called the Fringe Company who patrol this area and uh, kind of help out when they can and solve troubles and resolve adventures, all the classic uh, D&D stuff. And the map is blank when they get it, and the players are in charge of filling in the map. And if they find something notable, like it's up to them to market and things like that because the map oh, that's great. is exchanged from game session to game session. So if you don't, make a note on the map of something interesting like oh we found this like very odd cave that seemed to have a false wall in the back but we couldn't open it if you don't uh mark that on the map the next group to play if you're not there they would have no idea and there's also a little patrol journal which uh the players have to fill out unlike oh, cool. the the D campaigns where the uh, you know, the DM fills in the players like okay well here's what happened last time it's totally up to the players to uh, log what happens and what they deem important, which is very entertaining as the dungeon master to see 
the the witness fallibility in a group of players. Like sometimes their recollection of events is so different from what happens, but that's what goes in the book. And that's what the next group of players to sit down at the table and play uh, has to operate on. So that's pretty fun too. Some of the players, they never want to keep the, the patrol journal. So it's nice to dangle a carrot. Like whoever... Uh, whoever keeps the logbook gets inspiration for this session, something like that. But um, it really worked well because it didn't matter who showed up. Uh, you could always just kind of narratively hand wave it so that X amount of days have, has happened since the last patrol and personnel has kind of changed. Uh, the only thing I had to be mindful of is keeping it almost entirely overland so that the players wouldn't end up stuck in a dungeon because once you get down into like a, a nice meaty dungeon, it's not difficult to end up stuck there at the end of the session. And then in the next session, you'd have to, if somebody couldn't show up, then you start to run into those issues. So keeping it largely overland really helped with that, with that flexibility and it, and it, and it worked and it, it still works. People, uh, doesn't really matter who shows up. They can sit down and they play play the character, and it's great. That it's also level locked so cool. at level five. You're you're level five, oh. and you improve your character uh, uh, by adding feats to your character. Oh, that's a good idea. Oh. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that also doesn't penalize if you play every single session. Yeah. Uh, it's like, well, I'm level thirteen, and someone who's missed a ton of sessions is like, well, I'm level six. There would be this huge power discrepancy, but keeping everyone level locked at uh, at five by giving them different loot opportunities and different feats, uh, it does reward players who, who are playing a bunch without being too too punitive. But right. anyway, yeah. I, it doesn't change the math of it too much. It just yeah, gives them extra options, exactly. which is just more fun. Uh, that's yeah. been my core home game. I've been running the Fringe Company for uh, a very long time, and it's, it's a lot of fun. Um, and I want to start like releasing uh, all all of that material as well. And then I created another very flexible system called Gold for Monsters, which is just monster hunts, basically classic monster hunts. Here's here's the the mystery uh, of the job, so to speak, and you get paid, and then you can buy loot, you could save up, buy magic weapons, things like that. Um, and again, it's totally flexible on who can show up and sit down at the table, but. Um, largely inspired by one of my favorite video games, The Witcher 3 Wild Hunt, the monster contracts in that that are so much fun to kind of wander off to the edges of the map and explore. So that's a very flexible uh, game world as well. You're just aspiring monster hunters, basically. Definitely. I think that both sound like they would appeal to like different player types as well for people who just want to go out and just fight some monsters. That seems like a great place to do it. I love the idea of like how the players are informing the world and if you weren't there that week and you come in the next week, things could be different and you kind of don't know what you're going to get. But like if a player, if a group of players finds a cave, say, and they don't have time to fully explore that cave, but they'll, they'll come back and it's on the map now. And then the next group of players come in and they see that cave and they fire off a bunch of magic missiles which cause a bunch of rocks to fall in front of the cave and now the the entryway is is barred and then the next group comes does that mean then they can't go to the cave now because 
Yeah, they like, came back this and is found like canon it. Now. If they like changed now the world, yeah, the world is the world. completely I pervasive and idea. everything happens. And it would be fun to see things like that resolved too, because they would they would be like, "Why did you block up the cave?" Like, we didn't know. We just <laughs> saw that the cave seems sinister. And then again, it's a great reminder. It's like, well, if you noted in this in the patrol log, right. like there's something mysterious about this cave. We need to investigate it further. Boom! That next patrol is like, let's check out this cave that they thought uh, was kind of interesting. Uh, but that kind of stuff was always fun to see the uh, the interpersonnel dynamics uh, with resolving stuff like that. That's I, really I love cool. the idea of that also because there could be potentially be players who aren't ever in the same session but are having a war in the log of yeah. well we we wanted to do this <laughs> and we did this right and then they, you know can have this almost epistolary uh, you know communication back and forth with each other I love that yeah uh, also I just love the reward of of getting your players to contribute to the world building I've asked players many times to be like hey can you write this up like what what god does your cleric follow like you know write about it and and I don't want to just come up with everything on my own you know I want you to be invested in it and then. You know, two weeks go by and the next session shows up and they're like, hey, did you think about that? And they're like, oh, yeah, no, I didn't. Yeah. I'm like, shit. <laughs> All right, well, I guess I got to come up with it then. Uh, so, you know, the, the, the built-in mechanic of having them contribute to the world building around it is, is genius. Well done. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And it really pays off for the players. The, the more they treat the, their patrols like patrols, the more successful future patrols will be and the more that they'll get out of the game world there was there was so much stuff as anyone who dms knows you always pack in these like fun things and the players will walk right by it there's like oh there's a door with a doorknob that's not like the rest they're like we don't care we're going downstairs like (laughs) all right okay (laughs) and uh so that's the the patrol log is a great way for players to know things uh of that that might be curious, but they don't want to spend time on that particular session investigating. So, um, yeah, it works. It works pretty well. But yeah, those two, those two game worlds, I've I've definitely spent a lot of time working on and play testing for sure. Nice. Yeah. Well, let's uh, if you don't mind switching away from D anD D, I'd love to learn about your you know comedy background as well as uh, what's going on with those who can't. I assume I haven't I haven't yet seen that show, but I assume that's a joke on uh, you know those who can do and those who can't teach. It is exactly. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a stand-up comedian. I've been doing stand-up comedy since, wow, 2003, I think, which is crazy to think about. Uh, in addition to doing stand-up, I am a writer and actor as well. And I got the insane opportunity to uh, co-create my own sitcom, Those Who Can't. It originally aired for three seasons on True TV, but now it's on HBO Max. If anybody wants to check it out, I play an incredibly stupid gym teacher. And yeah, it's just basically all about terrible teachers in a, in a struggling high school, but it was a ton of fun to make. And I learned so much. It was like basically a paid crash course in writing television, writing scripts, learning every aspect of, how a television production works and yeah it was it was uh priceless to to learn all that and since then uh i still write you know show pitches and movie scripts stuff like that i write a lot of horror movie screenplays that's another big interest of mine in addition to comedy but yeah the comedy uh career it's interesting it's like doesn't really overlap with my role-playing game as 
aspects. Are. Sometimes people will sit down at a game and they'll expect that I've created a really like funny, goofy game. And that's generally like not, not how I like to run games. I don't know. I just like keeping those worlds separate. If something funny happens in a role-playing game, that's cool. And it's usually funnier for happening naturally than me kind of concocting a zany situation, I think. Oh, yeah, that's very true. Um, I... I am, it's on the, the watch list now, um, those who can't, but I, as when I found out that you were going to be our guest, I went down a little bit of a rabbit hole and saw like a bunch of clips and stuff. Um, and just, it was probably like midnight and I was still watching clips, <laughs> but it is exactly my kind of show. I was laughing so hard. There is, um, it's a great cast. Also, um, I saw that two of my favorite, um, funny women are part of that cast, Susie Esman and Sherry O'Terry. So oh, nice. Yeah. I am I am in, sold. <laughs> like, get this day over so I can just nice. kick my feet up <laughs> and watch this. I know I already told I already told Bart, I'm like, I have a new show for us. <laughs> um, yeah, it was, yeah. Thank you. It was it was very fun to make. It's cool that now people can watch like when it was on True TV, it was very nice they gave us that opportunity. But most people, even if they had True TV, didn't really know. <laughs> Where Didn't know that they had true TV, <laughs> and now that it's streaming, that's how people watch stuff now. So yeah. it's cool that I, I feel like it's actually uh, in the in the correct medium. Definitely, yeah. I love that you're a gym teacher, and that was the 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 extension of that adage that I remember from I think it was Annie Hall, right, where he said that those who can't teach teach gym. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's been my experience uh, growing up. Uh, I think we had a teacher. Mr. I, well, my bad. I won't call him his by his name, but we 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 called him shit for brains. Wow! <laughs> <laughs> in fourth grade, I had a gym teacher. She picked me up against a telephone pole for talking in line like a Terminator or something. Just <gasps> held me up by my neck up against this what? telephone pole because I was talking, joking around in line. Yeah, I still remember. And she got in trouble. I, that was one of the few things. Wow! Back in the eighties, it took a lot to get uh, your parents to call the school, and that was, yeah. that was one of them. I was going to yeah. say, like back in the eighties, that is exactly the kind of thing you could do to a kid and not get in trouble. <laughs> you could do that to yeah. kids you didn't even know. You just don't like the yeah. look of them. <laughs> I think that's what she was. That's what she thought, and it ended up she got a, a slap on the wrist or something. But oh. Oh. Anyway. I had I had a teacher be fired in my school. It wasn't for me, but it's almost, he did that, and he was actually one of the well liked teachers. Everyone loved this teacher, but he had one moment of of anger, wow. uh, and wow. never, never worked in teaching again, <laughs> as far as I know. Yeah, you do the Terminator throat grab. That's usually it. <laughs> <laughs> that was the difference between the eighties and the nineties. The nineties yes, exactly. was like, no, get him out of here. <laughs> oh my gosh, it's so funny. Oh man. So now, now that you have all this experience with the world building and writing, you know, in game, does that change how you approach writing for like TV and and movies and comedy now? Totally. That is one area where they overlap because creating like a world and TV that had like livable characters that track as even in a comedy like Those Who Can't, which is full of some pretty unbelievable characters, they still. <laughs> They still have to live in that world and interact with the other characters. And uh, you kind of have to build out the Bible of that world, as, as they call it. And so, yeah, that has definitely helped inform my game writing and, and vice versa. Is just that, uh, does this character naturally live in this world? Am I shoehorning them in? How can I? I try to create characters now in under the 
the lens of what does this character do if no players interact with him? I used to create characters where they'd be like, this character reacts to players like this. And it's like, well, what if the players never interact with this character? What do they want? What do they need out of their life? What do they go about doing if the players absolutely don't even look twice at them? I try to create the characters through that lens now, and I think it's made much better characters than the more reactive I'm sitting over here like a video game NPC with a question mark over my head waiting for you to talk to me. Um, so, yeah, they've, they've definitely helped each other, I think, uh, as, I, as I go back and forth. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, and then you have your own game company. I do. I launched You're my own publishing. game company in 2018. Mm. Uh, it's called Occupied Hex Games. I originally created it to release board games because I'm a huge board game enthusiast and uh i i was like i should i should make some board games i have board game ideas and i started making uh game prototypes and then when the pandemic hit the production of board games all but screeched to a halt as anyone who's backed a kickstarter in the last <laughs> uh year and a half knows no, nothing is being shipped anytime soon and everything was very delayed so i kind of just like sidestepped laterally to tabletop role-playing games which i already love doing i was playing tabletop role-playing games all the time in the pandemic remotely because uh, once i mean there was like a a, a very minor adjustment period where it was like this feels weird and then after like a week it was like no this is great this rules uh, I was playing tabletop role playing games all the time, so I just kind of sidestepped into those those projects. And I've re I've released a few tabletop role playing games. I made a game called Streets, where players are like stray cats and dogs and rats in a city. Yeah, uh, it's pretty rules light, but it's a lot of fun. I created that for my daughter's role playing game club at her middle school. I tried to uh, I originally tried to play Dungeons and Dragons with them. And I was very excited about it. And playing it <laughs> remotely with sixth graders who had never played it before was yeah. more than my skill set and patience level. I I could not do it. I tried. Oh, I had pre-gens. I did. I was I was really tap dancing to make it work. And it was totally it was brutal. That. So I mean, I, I, I try to do it even just with like a smaller group of just like my, my two kids and like some older cousins. And after two hours, I was exhausted. I was like, I cannot keep this even these you know four relatively well-mannered uh girls on track anymore it's so I, it's I, I feel you especially remote remotely remote. i feel like in person you can kind of point to it's like see here in the character sheet uh it's it's just much easier to teach so i created this streets game largely out of that i was like here's the game we can play in role-playing game club and they loved it and the kids could even run the games most of the games I just like moderated. I would just be sitting in the background on my computer uh, working on other stuff and the the kids ran it. And I was like, nice. cool. That's what I, that's everything I wanted out of this game. And then- It reminds me of um, Tokyo Jungle. Did you ever play that? Uh, it was no, like a Sony PlayStation it. game. It was never very big, but I, I always got a kick out of it. You basically played as a stray cat in a post-apocalyptic Tokyo. Uh, Whoa, that sounds amazing. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was totally eye-opening. Uh, I've never heard of that. Yeah, so it feels like you made the TRPG version of that, which is fantastic. I love my my daughters would love to play uh, dogs, yeah. cats, and rats. I nice. I'm all in on that as well, and I'm I'm I know that I want to talk about Duster as well, but I don't think I'm quite done with Streets yet <laughs> because it just sounds so fun. I like what is so are, is it cooperative? Yeah, just a cooperative. They all they play stray animals, uh, and you just kind of like. 
to start the game, you kind of glue them together as like, you're, you're this group. You have your little like turf uh, and regardless, you could be like cats and dogs. There's also rats due to popular demand. I included rats okay. as a playable animal. Um, and yeah, a lot you of just rats kind of fans. A lot of rats very, fans in schools in, in Denver. Yeah. <laughs> we actually have a pet rat here. My daughter has a pet rat, so that was oh, that largely why. There we, um, go. we have a, a very cute, very huge pet rat named Goose. But oh. um, yeah, the players, it's it's designed to pretty much be played over one shots. And the game sessions, uh, by and large, they're nice and brisk. It's like an hour, an hour and 20 minutes a lot of, a lot of the time, which is a great game length to play with kids. It's like, yeah. okay, perfect. Uh, but it was very fun to see what the kids like to do when they ran the game because they would often, <laughs> they would often dump the planned adventure entirely. I would always give them like a one-shot adventure hook and they would just instead go into a Panera Bread and trash it. And just like the... <laughs> This cinematically imagining this group of stray animals going into a chain restaurant and destroying it was fun. That was one of their favorite things to do. Uh, Barnes and Nobles, Panera Bread, you name it. it. If it was a chain, as stray animals, they love to go in and cause cause havoc. Screw so, capitalism. Do they interact yeah. with with people? Uh, yeah, there are people okay. in the world. Um, you can't uh, die in the game. There is like a grown up mode where. Yeah, you can you can be euthanized in the game, which is kind oh, of bummer. But I wanted I was, <laughs> you can be euthanized. But the, but the default game, you get taken to the pound if you are captured or if you get badly hurt. And okay. if your friends don't rescue you from the pound, uh, you're adopted, and then you're taken out of the game. So oh, it's like so it's a happy ending, is bad like, ending. Right. Yeah, you're like whoop, you're out the streets because you're you're playing these scrappy stray animals. Uh, and the goal of the game is not to get to be adopted. Not get adopted. It's to resolve whatever you know the the mystery of that game session is. But I there is an adult version variant where if you don't get adopted, uh, uh, yeah, you could be euthanized. Which I don't even know why. I put you don't that want. In the game, you don't want to end up at those hospital shelters. Uh, yeah. <laughs> when, you, when you said adult version of the game too, I was like, is this going to go into furry territory? Yeah. What's, <laughs> no, what? it's it's strictly. You're actually playing as mascots. Get, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's uh, uh, the the game master rolls dice to see what kind of person comes into the shelter looking for a pet. And there's a roll table of these people and they are looking for specific things. Uh, perhaps it's this woman who's very outdoorsy and she wants kind of like a hunting dog. And if you're playing as a cat, it's going to be very hard for you to make those rolls to get her to adopt you. But there is like a, a guy, there's like an older widower who is looking for a cat. If he comes in, your roles are going to be very easy. And in that variant, you do want to get adopted to avoid the to avoid <laughs> the, the, grim, the chamber grim ending. Nice. I am up, like I'm th- looking at my dog who's behind me who came from a shelter, and I'm thinking like I love the idea of him being like, no, no, don't pick me. Don't pick yeah. me. <laughs> My friends are coming to break me out. Yeah. Please, I don't want to end this game, lady. <laughs> yeah. It Michael is a J. weird. Fox's, uh, yeah. Character it from Homeward Bound everything. is going to come save me. <laughs> it changes everything for me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it worked with the kids, too, because it was ultimately, they would be sad. I don't think we ever had someone end up getting adopted. They would, they mm. would get a, they would usually get jail broke by their by their buddies right but. which is a great session and they're yeah. Anyway. oh yeah yes. that in itself is a is a very there's a whole like uh pound 
uh, dungeon map. One of my friends is a great TTRPG cartographer. His name's Josh Smith. Did this like basically dungeon map of the pound. There's like a ventilation system. There's there's all these different like ventilation ways you can get in. Yeah, that's so cool. I love that. I love that a lot. All right, and then you got Duster here, which also seems really interesting. A uh, post-apocalyptic western. Yeah, that's my setting. big game streets uh is relatively small game it's a zine zine size game duster is my real big game that i've been working on for uh about two years now and i recently kickstarted it and it got funded and all the stretch goals got met so it's going to be printed up and released in february so i'm very very excited about that to have my own role-playing game in a hardcover book will be will be very cool will be very amazing uh how does it run differently than uh, than D and D? It's with a lot of my games, I try to boil them down to the simplest game engine possible. And with Duster, I wanted to design the whole game engine around a regular old D six dice. The kind mm. I was like the kind of dice that everyone probably has lurking somewhere in their house in a board game box, something like that, and. So I, I created the whole system to operate around one or two regular regular D6s just for the simplicity of it. And I kind of just stripped everything down to uh, to play as fast and as smoothly as possible um, under that, that D6 system. So there's still much like D&D in most other role-playing games. There's like story mode where the players do basically whatever they want. And uh, if, if something comes up, you ask them to make a skill roll. But the the major difference is in the combat. I wanted to to create a combat system that felt different every single round. Instead of, um, I know at least me personally and a lot of other players, especially with D and D, with a character you played a long time, when you get into combat, you can just start to break into these these patterns. Where I'm like, okay, I know exactly what I'm going to do: cunning action, hide, uh, uh, sneak attack. Uh, rinse and repeat with this with this rogue things like that, and yeah. I wanted to create a system that was a little more unpredictable. So you roll for action points, and then you spend those action points to do things. So if you roll really well at the start of the round for your action points, you can do a lot of things. You can have a very cinematic turn where you're running around, shooting multiple people, swinging on a chain, whatever it might be. And if you roll really poorly, you'll have to make really tough choices about what you do on your turn. But um, I really like that combat system. It's worked really well. I've, I've been playtesting the game a ton uh, for for over a year, and it, it seems to work, and, and the players like it. And that's something I've not really seen. I have obviously not played every tabletop role-playing game, but this action point system uh, is, is pretty fun, and, and I think it's pretty unique. Uh, I dig that. For yeah. sure. Yeah, it reminds me a little bit of the, um, well, you wouldn't, uh, second edition had an initiative role that was different based on what weapon you were using. So if you were wielding something that was slow, like a big greatsword, you'd have a D12 that you'd roll, and you could be fast, but chances are you could be much slower than someone who's got a rapier who has a D4 uh, as their initiative role and will, will be much faster. Uh, That's so it, very cool. It had some, but it also could potentially slow down the game, right? So as long as the other parts of it were were streamlined, which it sounds like what you're doing, um, yeah, that could be really, really dynamic, especially in the yeah, cinematic. The initiative in this like breaks this. down basically just like D and D. You make a reflex roll, just like a dex roll, and you shake out somewhere, somewhere in that uh, for sure. 
What am, um, uh, how does the class system work? Because like, that was the first thing I thought of when I, when I read that you were making this was, you know, is there, are there sharpshooters and, and wizards and clerics analogs so, <laughs> in this? <laughs> there, is a little ma- there is a little bit of magic in the game. It's very ground, grounded magic. Uh, grounded magic. I don't know what that accent is. <laughs> I'm getting into, I'm, it's like I'm running a, a session of the game. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, there's 12 player specialties, which are in essence classes. They lay a much smaller footprint on the character than than classes in a lot of other role-playing mm. games where it kind of like, this is your tree that you will develop. In this game, your specialty just gets you started. And from that point on, uh, there's almost 50 talents that you then develop and you can choose from. So you can be a gunslinger who's also great at fixing cars, or you can be a doctor type who's also a gambler and also is good at making bombs it le- it lead it lends itself to like an insane amount of of character combinations but your specialty lays the bedrock for your character that's like something you're good at no matter what because you can lose talents you've developed if you take serious damage in the head uh you can end up losing talents that you've developed but you can never lose the the character aspects with your specialty so if you're uh if your specialty is slinger, which is a gunfighter, you'll always be good at at gunfighting, regardless of what what might happen with your character throughout their career. Um, but there's a little bit of magic in the game. Uh, it's called witchery, and there's a, is a specialty called witch-like, who are particularly good at using it. It's a very grounded magic, uh, certainly compared with Dungeons and Dragons. It's a lot more just nudging the game mechanics into your favor or uh, kind of cursing enemies so their roles uh, have disadvantage, things like that, that are maybe like visually in the game, certainly not as splashy as uh, a fireball or a hypnotic pattern, but uh, it's yeah. it's it's a magic that I think fits in well with the world. There's also uh, teams the- which have telekinetic abilities as well. Cool. That reminds me of the uh, the Witcher, as you as you mentioned, is one of your favorite games. Like it's the magic. Oh system yeah, there yeah. Is also same very muted much. magic yeah. system. Yeah, I dig it. Did you ever play Gamma World? Have you heard I have of not. Gamma World? No, I have. I have actually heard of it, and yeah. uh, it looked pretty cool, but I've never played it. It's very fun. I've always had a soft spot in my heart for Gamma World. It's kind of a, a I guess, similar to Streets and Dusters because you can play. Animals too. Nice. I, I have played a, a radioactive raccoon, and um, yeah, several. I think that's that's what was appealing to me initially about Gamma Worlds. I'm going to play an animal. That's amazing. Um, but they're always like mutated and strange, and but it's it's very fun. It's a cool game. Nice. And it's post-apocalyptic too, right? So it's mm-hmm. got that idea of like, oh yeah, yeah, everyone's a little bit on on the outs here with mutations and and how to yeah. deal with it. Creating nice. characters, uh, part of it is is creating their mutations, which is just more fun. Nice. Yeah, nice. I have Mutant Year Zero too, but I've never played that. But it looked, uh, it looks cool, the ability to mutate your your character. Your character, yeah. Sure. Uh, I want to ask a little bit about uh, stand-up because I, I, I was a stand-up comedian for a couple of years in, in New York City. Uh, definitely loved, you know, having a microphone and, and being able to make a room full of people laugh. Um, when I dungeon master i often feel like i'm using similar skills there you know like you're not necessarily uh you know uh, in the spotlight as you are on stand-up but you have to 
read the room and kind of see what people are, are jiving with and what people aren't, as well as a little bit of command of that room, right? Like when, when you're on stage and as a stand-up, you know, you've got that, those 10 minutes or however long it is, is your 10 minutes. I feel like that's similar with the Dungeon Master, especially if you're going to like a convention where you're meeting, you know, new players for like the first time and then you're like, okay, I'm going to be on for, for two hours. Um, and nothing drains me quite like Dungeon Mastering did and how even 10 minutes of doing stand-up would drain just all of the energy that you have out of you. So I was wondering if you have any, any thoughts or, or, or do, you, do you equate those, those two at all in your head? I, def- I definitely do more post-pandemic where I have uh, DM'd on stream as an entertainment product. In my home games, I felt more relaxed, obviously, because it's like, this is, this is my group, this is my friends or my family. And so it felt less like a performance. But once I started uh, running games on a stream as an entertainment product, yeah, 100%, I got that same feeling of like am i bombing as a dm right now oh my gosh like because you can you can feel that the player energy and investment in what's happening it it usually doesn't happen with them saying like i'm not really feeling this quest it's just in there the very subtle player action changes things like that and i think that you do you can pick up on that you can have like a, a sense for that where like oh i need to I need to be more active in this or I need to I need to somehow renew the motivation for these characters because they don't they don't really seem invested in what in what's going on. So I think that yeah that I've definitely uh bombing in roadhouses in Wyoming has cultivated <laughs> that radar radar in me for sure. Uh cuz it is it is a performance. Yeah, I uh running running a game. How do you do that? How do you bounce players. back? I mean, obviously with, with stand-up, it's much harder to bounce back in, in that same performance when you're bombing. At least it is for me. Uh, <laughs> but how, how, how would you do that in, at the Dungeon Master table, trying to bring it back to, to people listening to this who may feel that and not you know, know what to do? Or, or, or you know, you're saying get that motivation going again? Like, What are some skills that you've developed that could be of good advice for people? I suppose it's really situational on why that it's flagging, but a lot of times... Uh, I've I've had quests that the players they understand the the hook of the quest, but they're not particularly motivated for one reason or another. And I think it's helpful to either insert some sort of emotional stakes of why of why it's important, or and this is I think kind of criminally underused is go to a roll table. So many mm. role playing games have roll tables for you to use that a lot of DMs like myself will skip over because like, I'll just make something up. I, I'll create it. But if your players are lollygagging around and don't seem particularly interested in what they're doing, find a roll table for a random encounter or something of consequence to happen. And it just kind of like can pick everything up because it's unexpected. And it's even unexpected for you, the dungeon master, because you didn't plan this and it's just whatever the dice fall on. Now you have now you have this to insert into the game and it kind of maybe helps like shake things up and get everybody back uh back on the same page. That's a good idea. I love I love a table for that reason, yeah. right? Uh because they're fun to make. Now that I make my own games, I'm like, oh, this is why there's roll tables in every role playing game, because they are very fun to create. <laughs> yeah. It's almost like a uh list of inspirations, right? For 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 what's happening at the table totally. and it's fun for designers to make and I, I it's a really good advice because that will add energy to everybody at the table including the dm 
Yeah, it gets you out of the the pre-planned stuff that might not be working. I actually just wrote a table for Duster for horse personality quirks, which is probably <laughs> probably my favorite roll table I've made so far. If you tame a wild horse, the, the DM can roll on the horse personality quirks table. <laughs> <laughs> What's it? Fury? What would Fury's personality type Very be, Shelly? Shelly, that's an old... Evil. Chaotic evil. <laughs> This is a horse that I encountered when I was 12 years old somewhere in this Caribbean island, which sounds really lovely. And you're like 12 years old on a Caribbean island. But yeah, I was like, I don't, I think my parents won a trip or something, honestly. Not with And they, my parents, I realize now just wanted to day drink and they wanted to get rid of their 12 year old daughter and their 14 year old son. So they sent us off with, talk about random encounters, uh, like <laughs> Two other randos on the trip that also were like part of this trip. And they were like, you're going to go ride horses. And I'm like, that's cool. Except I got this like unbroken horse who only understood Spanish and just like took off with me. And it was just like, <laughs> and I didn't want to tell it to stop because I didn't know Spanish. And oh then gosh. I later found out that the horse's name was Fury. So no. That's amazing. No. <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah. amazing that feels like a great way to learn a new language though uh, like forget yeah. duolingo it's like you've been dabbling in spanish here's right. a wild horse that only speaks it yeah like Let's i think see. i was <laughs> i was probably in seventh grade like probably like the very first part of learning spanish so oh i was God. like hola me llamo Shelley. <laughs> <laughs> that is amazing fury fury yeah, but I love that table. That's such a great uh, thing. Yeah, totally. what were some of the what were some of the things on there? Do you remember how the horse personalities could roll out? Oh yeah, there's a there's a type of horse that is like oddly nocturnal and it, it travels faster at night. There's a horse uh, that is immune cool. to poison. There's various types of poisons in the world, and it's immune to them and in fact eats snakes. Just kind of this hardcore. Fury type <laughs> horse. Uh, there is a horse that's terrified of dogs. It will like buck and rear if the, uh, if there's a dog or coyote or wolf around. Um, so yeah, they're both good and bad. Like having a horse that's immune to poisons and in fact eats snakes. That's that's a six on the roll table. That's as good. That's about as good as your horse personality is going to get. But yeah, there's some quirkier and ones you, that you could roll that could a one and it, and it only understands Esperanto. Exactly. Yes. yes. Like Fury. Fury. The horse that speaks a language other than uh, other than you. <laughs> yeah, you can put that in there. It only you... knows Sanskrit. I love it. <laughs> Do you ever have uh, your uh, mid- the middle schoolers from the RPG club help come up with tables? Because I feel like that's Kids. their jam. <laughs> mm. They actually have not. They didn't seem very. I'd always ask for input, especially after the game sessions. I'd be like, "Is there any?" Any thoughts you had? Is there anything you wish would was different? Things like this. And by and large, they really didn't want to contribute much. They liked playing the game. But once it came yeah. down to, to chime like in, there was not much. Most much of the time, somewhere. they just wanted they wanted whatever dog they thought was cute to also be very powerful. There's like a whole system in the game for, for making your stats as an animal involving the... AKC breed classes. Um, <laughs> so you can actually generate stats for whatever kind of dog you want, even a mixed breed dog. Nice. But oftentimes they'd be like, I want to be a pug, but I want to be big and tough. And you'd have to explain why that 
Usually nice. I'd be like, fine, that's cool. Yeah, you're a big and tough punk. Who cares? Yes. <laughs> right. You got a big mark. <laughs> you're yeah. six. It's cool. Yeah. Um, I wanna, you, went, you were talking about uh, dungeon mastering on stream um, yeah. and how that is different. And I totally agree that makes sense. But uh, I want to know more about your, your, your gaming uh, here with, uh, I think it's a sci-fi based uh, Better Than Heroes. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a player in a campaign stream called Better Than Heroes. It's a spell jammer inspired <sighs> 5B adventure. <laughs> uh, it, is, it is a ton of fun. We've, we've done 71 episodes now, which is kind of insane that to think insane. about. But yeah, we play wow. every Monday. That's a fun one. I'm, I'm a player and my friend Harlan Kelly is the DM. They are an amazing DM, one of, one of the best DMs I've ever encountered anywhere they're they're so good but it's very fun it's fun to be a player too because it's just such a different energy than than running a game i just show up monday with my character sheet and just let's sit down and have fun i didn't have to spend any amount of time crafting uh the evening's adventure but yeah spelljammer was totally new to me and it it was the kind of it was a level of fantasy that I'm normally not into. It doesn't get much more fantastic than like crab ships and stuff, and <laughs> uh, <laughs> and these sort of like crazy starfaring sailboats. Uh, but once once I got into it, it was it was very fun. It was cool. I was very excited to see the new Unearthed Arcana Spelljammer esque uh, player races. Very very cool. Yeah. For sure, you're going to try some of those. Put some of those in your. Are you going to try some of those that are in the Unearthed Arcana? Oh yeah, we've already. Uh, one of the players is, was a Crean. Oh. Uh, they had just taken the Crean from the monster uh, manual and it just sort of tweaked it into a player character. Uh, so now that it's an actual player race, they just kind of compared the two versions and iron, uh, ironed them out. Um. But yeah, that's uh, we've we run into GIF before the hippo people and uh, um, get Yankee, obviously mind flayers prowling around. Uh, we commandeered a nautiloid, which uh, was pretty amazing having your very oh, own cool. nautiloid ship. Um, have you been playing any of uh, Baldur's Gate 3? Speaking of nautiloids. I've not. I've not. It's in, in my immense backlog. I've, I have, I've kind of pumped the brakes on video games just to work mm. on designing games and playing tabletop games. But yeah, Baldur's Gate is in is in the backlog for it's sure. Worth, if you haven't seen it, it's worth checking out the opening cinematic. Which I think oh, I have on. seen that. Where yeah, the, right. Where the person the changes. Yeah, I know. Yeah, that's so good. I've watched that uh, multiple times. Many it's still people, one of the most horrifying things to happen in a D&D game, running but, into the mind players and oh, yeah. knowing that that's... Uh, I've been prone before in an adventure with one of those like tadpoles coming across the floor for me. Uh, horrible. Yeah. Horrible. It's it, And you were mentioning your love of horror too, so it's got that like mm-hmm. body horror uh, uh, yeah. thing going on. Anything in it. There was a Star Trek The Next Generation episode where there was an alien they would put in the ears and I saw it as a kid and... Oh, still gives me the willies. Stayed from with you. Star Trek Two, the one from Wrath of Khan. I uh, know the next, the next generation. Yeah, they did it in Star Trek Wrath of Khan as well. Yeah, uh, there was also a, ne- a Next Generation episode where they did it. They just oh. aliens in the ears. Terrible, terrible way to get an alien. I'm I'm in the middle of a rewatch of Star Trek Next Generation now too. So uh, in I think the end season one, there's the the one that goes in the mouth, and then like 
controls the the like a ho- like a parasite host kind of situation. Maybe that's maybe that's what I'm thinking of. Maybe it's I awful. misremembered it. I yeah. conflated it with Wrath of Khan. I don't know. But it is Ugh. awful. Ugh. Yeah, no, I hate all that <laughs> for sure. Well, what do you think is because I I never played Spelljammer when I was. Uh, at all, yeah, it was never. It was kind of like you said, like a little bit too far out of the, you know, the Tolkien esque fantasy that I loved about about D anD. Um, and I didn't meet anybody who was playing it. Um, but what do you, what do you think is that after having uh, been playing for seventy one episodes? What do you think is the 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 reason why so many people are are interested in it now? I think it's the fun of being on some sort of ship, like a frigate that has a crew, and you get that sort of ship bound lifestyle but your ship is traveling through wild space and it and it produces its own gravity and atmosphere and you dip into other planets to refill your atmosphere bubble and it has this very seafaring on a incredibly vast scope to it that is really rewarding especially the crew our dm has populated our ship with a bunch of very fun crew NPCs who we now love dearly and waste numerous spells to protect in fights. (laughs) And it's, it's just cool to, to kind of have this sort of home base and just to travel a very, very huge expanse instead of just going to like, Oh, we're going down to this other kingdom on this map of one continent to be able to travel to new planets entirely is just the scope of it is is very fun and you never feel like you are you know digging all the the gold out of that vein you always whenever you leave a planet you're like we barely saw that planet Mm. so it's almost like speaking of video games taking it back uh the mass effect games which i really liked for the most part but that vibe of being able to fly to a new planet and take your little craft down and explore it and you had your little crew of explorers, that's, uh, it's it's just cool to kind of marry that with fantasy, for sure. That is cool. I don't think I ever had anyone really quite explain it to me, but now, having been watching Star Trek again and getting into that, like, bridge crew kind of aspect of why that storytelling is so fun, and then combining it with the party dynamics of Dungeons & Dragons, something just yeah. clicked, and you saying that, I'm like, oh, that's that's what it is. It's that... And, it's that whole exploration in an unknown universe thing, but with all the other, the, the D&D tropes that are also firing in all cylinders. Totally. And having your role on the ship as the player character party, we're basically the landing party from Star Trek, mm. uh, where we we go down. If there's something dangerous, we have to go check it out. If there's an, an asteroid that might not be an asteroid at all, but actually a murderoid that wants to eat us, that's our job to go set foot on the murderoid. So it's a fun <laughs> role for the the players to take too, just to to kind of be the the more adventurous landing party for the group. I dig it. Yeah, I was. I mean, I don't. I've never played Spelljammer either, but D and D in space was enough for to sell me. I didn't. Yeah. But <laughs> The, the hardest pers- obstacle to overcome is like, how are we breathing right now? How is there gravity? And it's like magic. It's magic. Yeah. That's how. Don't ask questions. Yeah. And the ship, the ship generates it. Don't worry yeah. about it. <laughs> and with so, I mean, you mentioned uh, just in passing, Expanse as a as a term, but I'm like, oh yeah, The Expanse is another great show yeah. that kind of exactly. feeds into that idea. And I think it's a little bit more grounded than say the Star Treks and things like that. So I think... Um, that could be an inspiration as well. I mean, you could play it almost like a low magic 
type of thing in space. I'd love to find that. You know, it'd be more like, a, what was that Sandra Bullock one where she's in oh, yeah. zero gravity and loses her ship and has to find it again. Like you could have whole gravity? adventures. Gravity. 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 Yeah, yeah, there you go. Gravity. You could have whole adventures like that where you're like, oh no, how are we going to get this person who's lost in wild space back onto the ship? Yeah, totally. It's it's terrifying. Being out in space on an open-air, three-mast sailing ship will never not be somehow intrinsically <laughs> terrifying. Regardless of the magic involved, uh, it is scary. Especially the way that the ships fly, there's a thing called a helm, and there's like a caster who sits in the helm and attunes to it, and they fly the ship magically. And what we've started running into are enemy weapons and powers that disable the helmsman. They knock out that mm. caster and your magic ship just starts to sink and to fail. And all the magic that is making it so amazing is, is going away, which is uniquely terrifying yeah. <laughs> for sure to be on a dead ship in space, but it's and very the, cool. And I all the really, cast members do this. But yeah, I really hope there's like an official new Spelljammer book for sure. Cause it's, it's a cool world. And I, I definitely came around on it. I was, I, I, I was like, I don't know if I'm ever going to get into this and it did not take me long at all to get into it. Oh, well, that's good to hear. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I don't know if anyone will ever make that, but we'll see. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Uh, and then what about, what is the your talk show, The Dungeon? I do. I have a, a Twitch stream talk show where I talk with game masters about running games. And uh, it's fun. It's it's really quick. It's just 30-minute episodes. We we chat with game masters, not just D&D, but all, all different games. And just kind of pick their brain. And we have a random roll table of questions that they can roll on at the end. Oh, nice. And it's just fun. It's just fun getting that in those insights from other game masters, especially we've had, we've had guests on the show. I never thought we would get like Brennan Lee Mulligan from dimension 20. Um, uh, and Becca Scott, uh, who's an amazing player and game master as well. So it's been very cool to get insights from, uh, from other game masters, but yeah, we took a summer hiatus and, uh, yeah, the dungeon will be back this fall uh, it's usually Thursdays uh, around four thirty, and it's it's thirty minutes, which goes by so quick when you're talking about role playing games. Absolutely, yeah. I couldn't imagine doing these interviews in thirty minutes. We'd be like, bye like bye. with seafarers yeah. in, in wild space, be like, <laughs> we just scratched the surface. There's so much yeah. more to get to, uh, and I feel like that's what we we have with you here. Like, even though we we talk for for uh, sixty minutes here, it feels like there's so much more to go over. I mean, you got so many great insights. Uh, I love all your creativity around um, these uh, alternate game systems, oh, as yeah. well as how you're playing, and uh, of course, all the uh, entertainment stuff you've been doing. Great stuff. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah, I will admit. While we were chatting, I may have purchased Streets. Um, it's already <laughs> downloaded and ready to roll. So in the middle of the interview, I'm, I'm that good at the multitask, but That's I couldn't. So good, I couldn't. I still have a stock of physical copies. So if you have a shipping address, I'll, I'll send you the real oh. book. The real zine. I'm opening it up. Yeah. Right. Oh my god! I already love the art in here. It's amazing. Awesome. Um, yeah. Well, thanks. It's uh, designing games is is my my true passion. It's, it's a ton of fun. I do. I'm always working on an idea. I, it's kind of like a carousel of ideas that will come around and I'll be like, Oh yeah, this would be a cool 
idea for a game. This will be a cool idea, idea for a game. And I just kind of keep keep that carousel going around. And the cool thing with role-playing games is that by and large, they're kind of open systems that are very welcoming to improvements even after they seem done, which is a very cool art medium. Unlike a, a painting that you might finish and put it out in the world, it's like, this is the painting and it's done. Like you wouldn't go back into the gallery and be like, actually, you know what? I have kind of a cool new idea for this painting. And I mean, maybe you could do that, but or you write a novel and you're like, actually, there's a version 2.0 of this yeah. novel. I kind of redid a bunch of things and role-playing games have this cool, unique aspect to them that they welcome revisions and changes and expansions and things like that. So it's right. a cool, it's a cool medium for sure. It's a definitely a very fun way to tell stories and make up worlds. So that's yeah. how D and D inspired Star Wars and George Lucas, and how he kept revising his his movies <laughs> over, over the years. Yeah, yeah, you can just uh, go back and reissue, make stuff up whole whole cloth. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I love all of uh, what we've been talking about, and I'm sure our audience will too. How could they find out about all of these things? What's the best way to kind of find out about all of your projects? Well, it's kind of split into two distinct areas. If you're interested in my game design, I, I would say the easiest route is just to check out my website, occupiedhex.com. There's info on all the games. I'm still taking late pledges on Duster if that game sounds cool and you're interested in that. Uh, otherwise, it'll be out digitally in February of next year for everyone. Uh, we're also on social media at Occupied Hex. And then for the comedy side of things, I'm at the Orvidal on Twitter and social media. And I perform wherever and whenever I can. You can check out those who can't on HBO Max. And I also have a comedy podcast I do with two of my longtime friends mm. called The Grolix Saves the World, where we give each other sort of passive aggressive self-improvement challenges to better <laughs> our lives in the world around us. And we actually have a D&D episode where I made them play D&D after oh. they've made fun of me for playing D&D for the entirety of our friendship. I finally got to make them play D and D. It's a it's a very funny episode. If you if you want to just check out that episode, it's called "Welcome to the Dungeon," and that is the Grolix saves the world. But yeah, that's pretty much it. Wow, that's amazing. That's, that's a lot. I, I, You're busy. I yeah, you got it all mapped out. It's so cool. Well, thanks again for for being here, Andrew. I loved uh, everything me. you're doing, man. This it, uh, I'm I'm inspired, and you know I'm, I'm going to join Shelly and just start buying up all your stuff. I know. Yeah, and when you're allowed to tour again, hopefully soon, if you come to Seattle, you must let us know. Perfect. I love Seattle. I love that whole area. So we yeah, can, hopefully I'll we'll, get up we'll there bring soon. a big crowd to see. You. Nice, cool. And next time in Denver, we'll we'll get some barbecue at the Albear. Vegetarian barbecue, baby. Awesome. Thanks a lot, Andrew. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you. Wonderful individual, Andrew Orvidal. What I just there were just so much wonderful projects that he's working on. Um, I you you're gonna love streets as I already do. I'm on page ten of the PDF. So uh, I feel like I'm gonna I'm gonna give this a try. You're gonna love the way this game You're plays. You're gonna love streets. <laughs> I guarantee it. <laughs> We're gonna have to get that guy to start doing uh, our, our pitches for, for You're Dungeons gonna and Dragons love product. this podcast. You're gonna love Strixhaven, a curriculum of chaos. I'm Professor. Oh, did he have a name? Did we ever know his name? No, because he used to say I'm. 
He's like, he owned it, didn't he? Yeah. He was was personally guaranteeing it. Wasn't he also the men's club for men, the hair club for men guy? (laughs) He also was a member? I don't know. Wait, this guy could be your patron. (laughs) Which guy? Yes. The men's warehouse guy. Yeah. You're going to love this quest. (laughs) (laughs) I guarantee it. <laughs> and look at that. We already we have another impression on the roster that we can we can do. We're that, I dig it. We're that I dig good. it. I feel yeah, he's he comes back, that guy. I got we gotta find out what his name is. Call him out. Yeah. <laughs> well, I enjoyed this episode. Probably uh I would give it a ten. Ten out of ten episode for you, Shelley. I really enjoyed this episode as well. Um I really enjoyed you. And Teos and Andrew. And nice. always Ryan and Lisa because they're just, their presence is always here and among us. And it feels good. Uh, thank you to everyone who has contributed to the Dragon Talk survey. We're looking at all those results now and we'll be able to have some, hopefully some great feedback that we can you know make this show even better for you in 2022 very exciting and thank you again to everybody who has been listening and uh, following along everything that Dragon Talk is love to get the word out more about uh, this podcast we know we have a lot of listeners out there but it's always good to spread the word this episode might be a good one just saying because it's got so much great comedy in it and you know we've got uh, Shelly's wonderful uh, Gore Vidal uh, impression no Uh, George Zimmer that's his name George Zimmer from Men's Warehouse uh, impression and is worth it so leave a review share it with your friends get more people out there to check out what's going on in the Dungeons and Dragons world through Dragon Talk yeah follow everything that's happening with Dungeons and Dragons including where to get our products like Strixhaven and the rules expansion gift set and Call of the Nether Deep uh, from Critical Role. All those things can be found on DungeonsandDragons.com or you can follow on uh, social media. There's Twitter at Wizards underscore DND on Instagram. Similarly thing. Uh, and Facebook, of course. We're on Discord. If you want to find new people to jump into and play, there is groups forming there as well as for our virtual play weekends uh, on Discord. So check that out if you can. And if you want to follow us personally, I am at Greg Tito. And what about you, Shelly Moo? I'm at Shelly Moo. On all those places. Uh, Again, shout out to Ryan Marth and Lisa Carr for all the wonderful things they do putting this show together. And now it is time for Two Shoes. All right. So last we met her, she was fending off uh, two doppelgangers who had recently stabbed Samson uh, twice. He is downed, uh, but Daryl was able to break out a healing potion that he had and shove it down Samson's mouth uh, and uh, regain some of that hit points back. He's still up in the fray. There's two doppelgangers, one of which who has got acid splash on his face. And uh, the last thing you heard was heavy boots coming up above on the floorboards. And uh, you hear a voice that says, this is the Waterdeep City Guard. Stop all fighting immediately. Put down your weapons. Um, uh, okay. <laughs> uh, we mean it. Uh, oh, there's everything's fine. 
Don't do, don't do you worry actually put about your weapons. No, no. Oh, okay, you're just saying that. Uh, roll me yeah. a deception check then. Wait, are they down here? Or are they still at the top of the stairs? They're they're, they're calling down the oh, ladder. Yeah. Okay, uh, that's a ten. Seriously, we will fire on you if you don't put down your weapons, bro. I've already checked out the situation. It's fine down here. <laughs> uh, you uh, hear an arrow. Oh. Uh, no, actually a crossbow. A crossbow oh. uh, goes off and shoots down and goes down in the ground uh, right near your last warning. Okay, I'm going to use minor illusion and I am going to create the, the voice. I can mimic someone's voice. Okay. So I'm going to mimic... Can I mimic like one of the doppelgangers voice? I mean, they're they're, you know, still trying to get advantage and 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 uh be in the middle of attacking. So I'm going to like can I can I just try to cover their mouth and or just use Can I just mimic their voice and be like it's totally fine, man. It was just a couple of rats. I'm not sure the doppelgangers have an individual voice that you've heard. You just heard oh. them kind of cry out in in pain. So I have to, okay. So can I just, uh, I, I'm just going to make a voice that doesn't sound like mine. Okay. Could be any of these workers. Okay. I mean, I'm like one of the halfling workers. You can yeah. probably do that perhaps. It's no, it's okay. It was a couple of rats and it scared us and we knocked over a bookshelf. We'll clean it up. Don't worry. Please don't tell our bosses they get so mad at us. I go ahead and roll a, I don't want to say deception because you're not, I mean, I guess you are still lying, but I will allow you to roll either a persuasion or a deception that. check. Which I want to do persuasion. Okay. 21. 21. Okay. Um... They, the voice you hear, uh, you know, right, the bolt had just come down and you've seen that go and then you, you, you respond and you're like, uh, in, that, in that high-pitched voice. And they say, the, the only way we'll believe you is if you put down your weapons. There's, there's, a, there's a bit of a pause before that happened. They like consider, like just the pause that I was doing, the pause is out there. I, uh, the only weapon... Is this box cutter? I, I I don't know what you're talking about. Nobody has weapons. <laughs> uh, if I don't see your blades on the ground, we will fire again. I'm getting really pissed off here. <laughs> Very angry. Okay. Like, this usually works. Like, come on. Um, okay, so I'm going to take... While you're kind of considering and getting angry and Daryl's like, whoa, whoa, hold on. <laughs> how, do we, how do we know that's the guard? Oh, yeah. You're right. You Prove to us that you're the guard. Show us your IDs. Uh, um, you hear whispering uh, up above and they say 
you're under arrest. Uh, oh, okay. We'll be right up. <laughs> okay. Uh, and then while while you're at the, the the doppelgangers, like again, they're trying to the ones that you can see in front of you were trying to jockey for position, but they were a little bit waiting to see what happens here. Uh, and as that happened, as you're, you know, this kind of exchange goes on, they, they press the attack and they want to continue fighting. Okay. I want and, to continue fighting too. And then you see a, uh, uh, you know, some more um, crossbows uh, kind of looking down here and one uh, figure is trying to climb down the ladder. Sure wish I had some cool spells. <laughs> Do you look up? Yeah. Um, your amulet allows you to see that this is a doppelganger coming down the ladder. Daryl, so smart. All right, we'll see what happens now as more reinforcements are here. Well, that sucks for us. <laughs> it does, indeed. See if you can get out of this one trapped in a basement. Gotta put those, those halflings to work. 